Hey guys, welcome to episode number eight of the Ego Maniac Movies Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ego. Talking Steven Spielberg movies today, guys. Super excited about that. But before we get into it, this episode's movie recommendation, movie of the day, whatever you want to call it. It's a documentary, which I'm probably not going to do very often because I don't watch a ton of documentaries, although I do enjoy them. I'll try and mix one in uh, every now and then. came out in 2014. It's called Dinosaur 13. Now, every time I recommend this movie to someone, they laugh at me when I say the name. They think it's like a fucking cartoon or something for kids. It's not. It's a documentary about Sue. Now, for those of you who don't know who Sue is or what Sue is, at the time, it was the most complete T-Rex skeleton ever found. And it's about the people who found it. Um, it you know, I'm not 100% sure if it's still the largest and most complete. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it's at least one of those things. Um, but, you know, it, it talks about how they found it, where they found it, the preparation of said skeleton. And then all out of nowhere, shit hits the fan. It's a story I had no idea uh, did happen, no idea could happen, really. I mean, the IRS gets involved, the government gets involved. It's really complicated shit, and it's really, really interesting. This movie's about so many things. You know, it, one of the most important paleontological discoveries ever, being the main one. Uh, it's about a small town that comes together, and it's almost a romance, believe it or not. It's a documentary about the discovery of a T-Rex skeleton, and it's almost a romance. When you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. Uh, you'll definitely know what I mean. Uh, it, it, it's so good, guys. It's so good. You have to see this documentary, especially if you enjoy documentaries. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big documentary watcher. Uh, like I said, I enjoy them from time to time. But if you love documentaries and you haven't seen this one, you got to check it out. And most people haven't seen this one. It went really under the radar. I had to buy it at some specialty movie shop. Like, a, usually you can only order it online. I'm pretty sure it's not even on Amazon. It might be, though. Um, but, you know, as all documentaries, they're meant to make you see one point of view for the most part. But this one, to me, seems pretty cut and dry. I do see one point of view. I try to see the opposition's point of view, but I just don't get it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I can't see being on the other side of this argument. Maybe I'm wrong. Let me know when you see it and tell me what you think. Um, it's the story of an everyman, guys. It's the story of a small-town family versus the man plus dinosaurs. I mean, I, I don't see where you can go wrong, really. I'll always have a soft spot for this documentary, and if you guys haven't seen it, definitely check it out, Dinosaur 13. Now, before we get into the list, I'll do a little explaining. First of all, as I'm sure you guys know, if you listen to my past episodes, which I can't thank you enough, um, Steven Spielberg is my favorite director of all time, by far. <clears throat> but, you know, in all fairness, I haven't seen all of his films. You know, I haven't seen Duel. I haven't seen 1941. I haven't seen the Sugarland Express, although I do own it. Uh, I've never seen it. I was going to watch it for this list, but I ran out of time. And, I, you know, this list was pretty... It was tough for me to organize it, but it was pretty clear what I was going to put on it. Um, I'm sure there's something else I haven't seen of his, but I can't really think of what it is. Uh, Lincoln. I've never seen Lincoln. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not going to go into huge depth uh, into all these movies. If you guys want that, let me know, and I'll consider doing like full film analyst uh, analysis. Sorry, front to back. Uh, I'll do that. Like not not necessarily a commentary, but I'll watch a movie. I'll take notes the whole thing, and I'll do a full film analysis. Um, I've put eleven on this list simply because I really wanted the two lowest on there. I couldn't kick one or the other off. 
<clears throat> I couldn't kick them off. And those two probably you're not going to see on anyone else's top 10 or in this case 11 Spielberg movies. Um, there will be spoilers probably. So you've been warned. Now, most of these movies, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've seen most of them anyway. But uh, yeah, guys, before we get into it, I got some honorable mentions that I'll talk about. And the first one is The Lost World, sequel to Jurassic Park. Uh, in my opinion, the best sequel by far. Um, and I'm going to talk about Jurassic World. I might start doing a bit of a, a bit more movie news. So I'll talk about the trailer, maybe another episode. But yeah, The Lost World. I don't think that's enough credit, to be honest. I think it is a good movie. It gets shit on a lot, but I think it is a good movie. Um, Jeff Goldblum returned. I would have liked to see Sam Neill, but that's okay. Richard Attenborough returned. And it was fun. You know, Vince Vaughn, it, it was it was definitely more fun action than the first one. The first one had a lot of depth, and this one didn't necessarily. But I liked the fact, you know, the the movement of the dinosaurs to a big city that was kind of interesting to me and i know a lot of people like i have friends at this they like this one more than the first now i do not fall into that category i think that's blasphemy but who am i to judge you know i i can i can see it this movie's a lot of fun i had a lot of fun with the lost world that is my first honorable mention my second one is a movie that most people probably haven't seen not a lot of people have seen this one and it is called always it's not a perfect movie I'll let you know that right off the bat. This is not a perfect movie. That's why it's not in the list. Although there are some in my list that aren't perfect movies, but then that's neither here nor there. This isn't a perfect movie. I've heard it described uh, using the words schmaltzy. Schmaltzy, you know, and I don't really know what it means, but I kind of do. Like I can kind of, you know what I mean? It's one of those words like you just kind of get it. And it is a bit schmaltzy, I suppose. But it is a good love story. You know, it's a Steven Spielberg-directed romance, and that's how I'll put it. And it is a good movie. Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter, John Goodman's really good in it. Fairly touching in a lot of uh, spots. I believe it was Catherine Hepburn's last uh, appearance on a feature film, if I'm not mistaken. It's a good movie. It's worth a watch. Um, I wouldn't spend a ton of money on it, but it's one that I think is slightly underrated. It's a decent movie. So check Always out if you haven't seen it. Let me know what you think. The next one, I think, is a great movie. It's a phenomenal movie, and that is The Adventures of Tintin. Now, allegedly they're making sequels to this one, and I hope they do, because I fucking love this movie. It's a good movie. I would compare it to Raiders of the Lost Ark, except it's animated. I'm pretty sure this is the only full animated film that Steven Spielberg has ever made. Good, good movie, guys. Great adventure movie. A lot of fun. You can show it to your kids. Just, you know, it, it's a good time. It's a good adventure film. It's really funny. Um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost play two brother detectives, and they're a great comedic relief in this movie. Really, really fun. Check out Adventures of Tintin if you haven't seen it. Definitely worth an honorable mention, in my opinion. The next honorable mention I have probably appears in a lot of lists, actually, in their top ten, I would say, and that's Minority Report. Now, I'm fairly new to Minority Report. I saw it not long ago. And I loved it, but it just wasn't enough, you know, it wasn't enough to make the list because it's very, I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan. Like, I know a lot of Spielberg's movies are sci-fi, but they're not, they have other elements to them. This movie is very, very sci-fi. And I love it. It's a great movie, Minority Report. It just wasn't enough to make the list. Great performance by Tom Cruise. Uh, Really interesting concept. I love the concept. Max von Sydow's killer in it. 
Um, and yeah, Minority Report. I mean, it is a great film, but it just wasn't enough to make my list. Now, my last honorable mention will probably piss some people off that it's not in my list, but it's in their honorable mentions. I love this movie. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I love it. It's great, but it's not, it, you know, it, it just wasn't enough to make my list. That's all I can say about it. I, I mean, spoiler alert, Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull will not be on this list. Uh, I think they're both not great. They're not my favorites. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure Spielberg was quoted in that documentary recently, that HBO documentary, um, that Temple of Doom is actually his least favorite. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and that was the one he met his wife on. So that's got to that's gotta say something. But, uh, yeah, it, it's great. I love the dynamic between him and Sean Connery. But, you know, honorable mention on this list, on a Steven Spielberg movies list, is nothing to shake a stick at. I love the movie. It just wasn't enough to make my list. So those are my honorable mentions, guys. Let's get into it. The juice, the cheese. That is my all-time Steven Spielberg movies list. Coming in at number 11. I might get a lot of heat for this, but that's okay. That's what these lists are about. That's what this podcast is about. It's about my preference. Now, before I get into the list, I'll tell you something about my preference. It's not right. It's not right. It's not wrong. These are just my opinions. It's simple. You know, if if your list is completely different than mine, you're not wrong. You're not right. You're not wrong. You know, you know what I mean? It's just total preference, and that's what I love about movies. That's what we all should love about movies. We should embrace that, the fact that we disagree on things. I love it, and that's why at number 11 came out in 2005, War of the Worlds, starring Tom Cruise, Dakota Fanning, Tim Robbins, Justin Chapman, Miranda Otto. Now, let's talk about Miranda Otto for a second. Incredibly underrated. And there's a bunch of patterns you'll find in this list and in Steven Spielberg's films. He's so good at finding underrated talent, in my opinion. Miranda Otto should be in everything. She's so good. She was even good in Annabelle Creation. I I love that movie, but, you know, that's a very basic role she played. And she was good in it. She's great in Lord of the Rings. One of the most underrated performances, I think, in those in the, that trilogy. She is so good in that. Um, but yeah, you know, really good performance by Dakota Fanning in this one, I think. And it, another pattern. The guy can get a performance out of the youngsters. You know, he can really, really work a great performance out of kids. Um, it, it's just something he can do. I, I don't know what it is, I think, because he's probably a big kid himself. But, you know... I'm one of the few that had no problem with Tom Cruise's performance in this one. I thought he was believable as an everyman. I liked it. I liked the, you know, at the beginning of the movie, I liked the mouthiness with him and his kid. And the ex-wife, I liked that, you know. The guy can play scared really well. You know, and frustration. Which he does a lot in this movie. It's, It's really, really good performance in my opinion. I actually think he's underrated as an actor. Honestly, I do I do feel that Tom Cruise is underrated as an actor because he's known as an action star. When he's given a role with some you know intricacies and things, I think he's really good. I really like him. I dig the guy. He's very good at a guy who's just you know panicking, losing his mind very very fast. And I, I it, it really fit well in this movie, I think. And when Steven Spielberg does sci-fi, this is one thing I've noticed. When he does sci-fi, it always seems to be lit. Oddly, 
You know, like not maybe not oddly. That might not be the right word, but it's very uh, like soft. You know what I mean? Like very um, like the sunlight. It's hard to explain, but it's very soft. He did the same thing in AI and he did the same thing in Minority Report. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Let me know if you have. It's like a very soft lighting, warm, but still bright. It's very, very odd. Um, but, you know, another Spielberg pattern in this is something prominent in a lot of great movies. And that's the idea that a lot of times it's not what you see. It's what you don't see that's scary. The noises, you know, uh, the lights. the And I think like in the basement scene. And this movie is a perfect example of that when like the lightning and shit that like that purpley and just the sound of it, that crack, you know, that's what he he's so good at that, you know, and I think that came from, uh, well, who knows where it came from. But I, I think in my opinion, what I see in the films are like a very Hitchcockian type of thing. You know, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. And that's. It's something that a lot of great movies have, utilizing the light, the sound, not necessarily, you know, things jumping in your face. Uh, very, very subtle, which I like. And, you know, let's be real. This isn't a perfect movie. But I think the things it thrives on, sci-fi action, good performances, and massive set pieces, are so good that I don't sweat the little things. You know, I think this movie deals with the things that happen in this universe in a very real, real way. You know, uh, like uh, an alien invasion shows up. We're not going to band together as humans. We're going to start fucking killing each other. That's just the way it is. We're going to act like animals, the animals that we are. And in this movie, that happens. You know, we're not very nice to each other. We're not sticking together. Once it's all over, we'll be cool again. But, you know, during, um, that's a different story. But I do think it's actually quite a grounded movie for the subject matter of, you know, aliens coming to Earth and things like that. Really good. I like War of the Worlds, guys. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you have seen it, let me know what you think about its placement on my list or if you liked it or not, you know? So that's my number 11. At number 10, another movie that's probably not on most people's uh, top Spielberg movies list. Came out in 2015. Pretty recent. Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies, starring Tom Hanks, Mark Rylance, Amy Ryan, who's also underrated. She plays uh, Tom Hanks plays a character, I believe, named Jim Donovan. He's a lawyer, an insurance lawyer. And Amy Ryan plays his wife. Now, Amy Ryan, I really like her. She was in Goosebumps. She's in tons of shit. Um, And she's really underrated. She's really, really good. Alan Alda is in this. Noah Schnapp. He's not a big part, but I had to mention him. My boy Will from Stranger Things. You got to mention Will. You know? Guy's taking a shit kicking for two seasons. He deserves a shout out, I think, at the very least. Um, uh, Based on a true story. I don't know how true to form it is because I don't. I'm not really aware of the story, but it's a fascinating one. It's about Rudolf Abel, who is accused of being a Russian spy, and uh, they need to prove that they're giving him a fair trial. So they get an insurance lawyer, played by Tom Hanks, named Jim Donovan, to defend him. Now they want him fried. Everyone wants him fried. They don't really want to give him a fair trial, but they have to act like they are. But the lawyer kind of sees where this guy's coming from, you know, because he understands that there are guys overseas in Russia doing the exact same thing for their country. And if they got caught, he'd wanted them treated fairly. 
so that's kind of the approach he takes, which I, which I like. You know, that's a very, very cool story, especially for a lawyer to do something like that, do something honorable. Um, Mark Rylance won the Oscar for his performance as Rudolph Abel. Now, I, this is a big controversy because Sylvester Stallone probably should have for Creed. But it's still a great performance nonetheless. Mark Rylance was really, really good in this movie. Now, before you check this one out, I'll let you know it is a slow burn. So if you're in the mood for like a political law war thriller that's not necessarily filled with action and, you know, ultra fast pacing, this one's definitely worth a watch. But if you want the action, you know, you see Spielberg's name and you're thinking, okay, there's going to be bombs going off and shit like that. It's not that. It's a slow burn political thriller. It's really, really good. Maybe not even thriller. That's probably not even the right word, but it's just a very, very interesting story and one that... uh, more people should have seen, I think. Bridge of Spies is a great, great movie. And that's why it made number 10 on my list. So that's my number 10, guys. And number 9, I wasn't sure where I was going to fit it in. And it may move up over time. I think it probably will. Came out this year. Ready, player, one. As you all know, this was my top anticipated movie of the year. Written by Ernest Cline and Zach Penn. Ernest Cline wrote the book, starring Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cook, Ben Mendelsohn, Lena Waithe, Mark Rylance. It's a story of a virtual reality world called the Oasis that people spend most of their time in because the real world sucks. It's in 2045, so everything's ruined. We've destroyed the earth. And when the creator, James Halliday, played by Mark Rylance, dies, he reveals a quest for an Easter egg he's hidden deep within the game. Whoever finds the egg... First, gets half a trillion dollars and control of the entire oasis. A huge corporation led by an asshole wants the egg so he can monetize everything, and chaos ensues. I'm not going to go much deeper than that. Um, Really fun. So, so much fun. A lot of people are saying, oh, without the nostalgia, this movie... But No, this movie does not suffer for that. Guess what? The nostalgia is in there. It is in there. The nostalgia needs to be in there. In my opinion, the movie doesn't rely on it. There are plenty of movies with cool nostalgia elements that aren't good. The knowledge of pop culture in this movie is a necessity for the character's success. They need to know shit about pop culture. You know, I think that was really clever. The fact that nostalgia is in this movie, it's in there because it has to be. It needs to be. There's no goal unless it is. You know, so I I don't understand the, the... the negativity towards that aspect of the movie. And let me tell you something. There are so many Easter eggs and nostalgia elements to this movie. I saw it twice in the theater. The first time, I didn't even notice it. You know, of course, there's the major elements of the story that uh, include pop culture references and things like that. But it wasn't until the second time, the second viewing, where I started noticing shit like, oh, look at that. That's like the coolest Easter egg I saw. Uh, was a character, and it's near the beginning of the movie, and it was John Bender. It's John Bender as an avatar from Breakfast Club, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, But, yeah, the first time you see this movie, you're not going to notice that shit. You you know, don't look for it. Just embrace the movie. Get immersed in it, because it's a really, really fun, fun movie. Um, You know, a lot of people are saying... Oh, he, he's back to form. Spielberg's back to form. These are the positive reviews, which I, I like, but I don't think it's that he's back to form. It's that he's just back to what I consider his roots to be, which is huge epic blockbusters that are a ton of fun. That's what this movie is. 
you know, yeah, the characters aren't maybe fully fleshed out. Um, but they're fleshed out well enough. I mean, you you know these characters. I mean, it, it was a pretty cool element, actually. He shot the film, the the parts in the Oasis digitally, which I thought was, you know, well, it's obvious. But he shot the real world parts in film, which I thought was a really cool contrast because when it goes to the real world, you see that, like, grittiness. It's very, very neat. The grain, you know what I mean? Like, film, film is really cool. I'm... I think most people will start filming digitally eventually because the money you save is just incredible. But film does capture something that digital can't. But that's neither here nor there. This movie is a lot of fun, guys. The only disappointment I had was there was a couple songs that were featured in the trailers that weren't in the movie. But that's not a flaw. I probably shouldn't even bring it up because the soundtrack is still really good. It's a great score by Sylvester. There's even Easter eggs in the score. You know, which another thing about that is the fact that there e- there's Easter eggs uh, strewn throughout this movie. You're kind of uh, you're looking for them like the characters are. You know what I mean? Like you're almost in a challenge yourself. It's very very cool. I can't wait to buy this on Blu-ray and just like pause it every two seconds to see how many Easter eggs I can find because that's what we do. We're nerds. That's the kind of shit we do. You know. We'll pay it twice as much because there's a half hour extra of special features on a Blu-ray. That's what we do. That's what we're about. Um, and I, I couldn't be more excited for this movie to come out. I thought it was so... It's come out on Blu-ray. Sorry, guys. It was so much fun. A ton of fun. You know, everyone in the theater was having a blast. Uh, people were clapping. They were cheering. It, it was It was a really, really good time in the theater. So that's my number nine, guys. And eventually it will move up. I'm sure it will. Ready, player one. And number eight, this probably could have been higher, but you know what? I like where it is. 1977, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Written and directed by Steven Spielberg. Obviously, the only reason I bring that up is because it was written by him as well. Starring Richard Dreyfuss, Terry Garr, Francois Truffaut, the legendary French director. I have not seen any of his films, but I'm sure they're really good. Uh, Melinda Dillon is in this one as well. Uh, This is coming off of Jaws, which I'm pretty sure gave him final cut. I mean, once he made Jaws, he kind of could do whatever the fuck he wanted, as far as I know. And, you know, this is the story of first contact with life from another world. Which was a dangerous thing to do at that time in my opinion, because this story is in no way violent or scary. It feels scary at times because, again, Spielberg is so genius in the way he reveals certain things. You know, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. Um, Little Barry's uh, toy cars and shit lighting up, going across the room, you know, uh, the vents unscrewing themselves, and it's just very, very neat. Now, so many cool things about this movie. Now, this movie is one of my favorite stories uh, in Hollywood. And that is the fact that George Lucas came to set. This is the story as I know it. It could be different. But George Lucas comes to set and he's freaking out about a movie that he's making. And he says, man, your movie's going to be so much better than mine, Stephen. Like, it, it, this sucks. Uh, my Your movie's is awesome. Mine sucks. And Stephen says, here, I'll make you a bet. I'll give you 2.5% of my movie. You give me 2.5% of your movie. That movie ended up being Star Wars. I'm pretty sure this was a... I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard that Steven Spielberg still makes money off this bet. You know, the bet was valued at like... I, I can't even remember the m- amount of money. It's got to be an exorbitant amount. Like, holy shit. 2.5% of Star Wars. 
you know and it might have even been george lucas that did the bet uh did the betting because he you know but steven believed in him which i think is another cool thing about this guy he believed in his buddy you know that's just a very human thing that he did and there's the thing about this movie a lot of people complain about it richard dreyfus plays a character called roy roy neary now there is an argument to be made about roy neary's decisions he pretty well leaves his family but in my opinion when you watch the movie i don't think he has a choice I think this thing is, you know, so enamoring to him and got such a control of his mind that he has to go. He can't stay. That's just what I get from the movie. I don't think he has a choice in the matter. He's going to Devil's Canyon. He's finding these aliens, you know. But uh, again, I'm not going to go into depth on these movies because if you haven't seen them, you have to. You know, these are totally necessary watching. You need to especially a movie like this, which probably arguably started the sci-fi genre as a whole, you know, like major motion picture sci-fi, sci-fi drama, just unbelievable movie, unbelievable movie. This movie directly inspired E.T. I know Steven Spielberg uh, wrote E.T. on the set of this movie or came up with the idea at least. Um, Really, really great movie. Really, Really great movie. Probably, it, it's got to be in my top 10 alien movies as well, which I'll probably do one day, but, you know, who knows. If you haven't seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, stop this podcast immediately and go watch it. That is my number eight. At number seven, 1993, Schindler's List. Starring Liam Neeson, Ben Kingsley, Rafe Fiennes. I want to say Ralph Fiennes. I'm not going to. It's Rafe. Um, the true story of Oscar Schindler and his exploits during the Holocaust. Now, in my opinion, this is probably Spielberg's best film. The reason it's seven on my list is because I don't revisit it a whole lot because it's tough to watch. This is a hard movie to watch. There's a lot of nasty shit, real life shit. Um, So it's not one I revisit a ton, but it is so, so amazing. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Set Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score, John Williams. Uh, at the Oscars that year, which is pretty intense. That swept the board, basically. I mean, this movie maybe has the scariest villain and most complex villain ever, ever recorded on film. Ray Fiennes plays a horrible fucking human being, but his performance is outstanding. You kind of, you, you feel terrible because you want to see what this guy does because it's just so horrific you know it's unbelievable that a real human could do something like this it's crazy it's crazy and his performance is so brilliant i mean he must have had a hard time making this movie because the shit he has to portray i mean that's a dark dark place this guy had to go to um you know and he's not the only complex complex character in this movie an unbelievable character arc in oscar schindler played by liam neeson I'm surprised he didn't win an Oscar for this, you know? Like, this is a really, really good performance, in my opinion. At the beginning of the movie, he's truly looking out for his best interest. That's the thing about this character arc. He is a selfish prick at the beginning of the movie, you know? But he grows. He grows. I mean, in in three hours, I believe this movie clocks in at around three hours, maybe a bit more. We go on a journey with this man. You know, there's there's a massive change in him. 
and it's it's very very interesting. Ben Kingsley's really good in this. It's just an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to. It's it's not only Steven Spielberg's best film in my opinion. It's one of the best films of all time. It, it's got to make the list, and it's on all those lists. You know, there isn't a bad performance in the movie. What can I say that hasn't been said a million times already? It's on every major greatest films of all time list because it is just that. It's a great film, one of the greatest of all time. So that's my number seven, guys. Schindler's List. And number six came out in 2002. Catch me if you can. You know, I didn't think this one would make it this high on the list, but I watched it the other day, and it had to. I had to do it. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Frank Abagnale who's real. When this guy, before this guy was 21, he had faked being a pilot. Like, and I don't mean like told people he's a pilot and they believed him. I mean, he flew on planes. Uh, He was a doctor. Again, he didn't tell people he was a doctor and they bought into it. He worked in a hospital. He was a supervisor in a hospital, in fact. So there's no medical procedures being done, no medical work, but still incredibly fucking dangerous. He was a lawyer, actual lawyer. I mean, pretty intense. This guy has a lot of skill, obviously, and he's a brilliant kid. I mean, all this before he was 21. It's an insane story. Tom Hanks plays Carl Hanratty, a detective who's chasing after him. Now, the guy in real life wasn't named Carl Hanratty, but there is a character in real life that uh, was obviously similar to the character Tom Hanks plays. A lot of small parts in this movie by some pretty prominent people, actually. Like Jennifer Gardner plays a small role in this. She's really good. Elizabeth Banks, Ellen Pompeo, Amy Adams. Before they were really big, you know, before they really took off. And they're all really good in it, but very, very small parts. Amy Adams probably has the biggest, but she does have the biggest by far. But uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Christopher Walken was, not Leo or Tom which I think is kind of a travesty. They probably should have been. They were both really good in it, especially Tom Hanks, actually. Leo was great in it, but Tom Hanks was really good in this one. Christopher Walken was too, but I, if I had to give it to one of those three, I'd probably take Tom Hanks. Uh, it was nominated for Best Original Score as well, John Williams, and it is great. It's it's not like an, any other John Williams score, in my opinion. It's a lot different. Um and again, it's odd that uh, this movie wasn't nominated for more, to tell you the truth, including Best Picture. I think it should have been. Uh, Frank Abagnale, the real Frank Abagnale, says about 80% of the movie is true. Now, I think that's pretty good for a biopic to be 80% true. I mean, some of them get so out there and they make no sense and they have nothing to do with the real life story. They just use the name of the guy. But yeah, for the actual guy to say 80% of the movie is true, I think that's pretty good. It's very underrated, this movie. And I think that's because it doesn't necessarily feel like a Spielberg movie. It's very Hitchcockian, this one. I think Spielberg was definitely influenced by Hitchcock because there, there's a shot in this movie, in my opinion, that came straight out of Vertigo. It's in the office. It's near the end. This shot came straight out of Vertigo. It's like uh, Tom Hanks looks out his office, and then they pan across the office as Frank is walking in, played by Leo DiCaprio, obviously. Very... It's the it's the same shot as uh, Jimmy Stewart in in the bar in Vertigo. If you guys have seen it, let me know if you agree. Uh, very very similar, but it's one of those rare movies that there really is no villainous character. You know, there's a lot of movies where there's no villain, but it, it's more rare than not. You know, usually there is a clear cut villain. This movie there isn't. Now maybe what Frank was doing was wrong. It was definitely wrong. 
But at the same time, he's not fucking over everyday working folks. He's screwing over banks, you know. He's screwing over the government for money. So he, I, I'm cheering for the guy. I think as an audience, we're cheering for the guy. But you almost want him to get caught by Tom Hanks's character because he's so likable too, which Tom Hanks has such a gift because Carl Hanratty in the movie really isn't a nice guy. You know, he's not a funny guy. He's kind of miserable. Really, but Tom Hanks makes him likable somehow. And it's a crazy dynamic because you want to see how far Frank can take this, but you also want to see him get caught because it's, you know, and he comes so close sometimes. It's very, very interesting movie. Very, very cool. If you haven't seen Catch Me If You Can, you got to see it. It's one of Spielberg's best, in my opinion. Other than Schindler's List, I mean, this is a really well-crafted film, and it, it, it deserves more love, I think. So that's my number six, guys. Catch Me If You Can. At number five... 1998, Saving Private Ryan, starring Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Tom Sizemore, Barry Pepper, another underrated actor. I believe he's a good Canadian kid, if I'm not mistaken. Really good. He was really good in True Grit. He was great in We Were Soldiers, which I will talk about one day. Um, So stay tuned for that. Adam Goldberg's in this movie. There's so many really good bit parts. You know, Ted Danson's in this movie. You wouldn't expect Ted Danson in this movie, but he's really, really good. Paul Giamatti plays a bit part in this movie. Also, really good. Vin Diesel, really good. Um, You know, we all know about the first 25 minutes or so of this movie. I think it's about 26 minutes, the opening sequence, the Omaha Beach sequence, which I believe, D-Day sequence, yeah. Um, It's crazy gory, violent, it's real, but the fact that the rest of the movie lives up to it in my opinion, is such a feat, you know, like, as epic as this movie is, rewatch it, tell me if I'm wrong, it is a totally character-driven drama, there's tons of explosions, it's, it's so real, it's scary, uh, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of gore, but the thing that drives this movie is its characters, they're so real, unbelievably real, especially Tom Hanks. I think this is probably Tom Hanks' best performance of all time, in my opinion. It's unbelievable. He got into the head of this character. It's just, you know, again, a dark place to be. This is one. It has one of the most heartbreaking death scenes of all time. You know the one if you've seen it. Giovanni Ribisi. Like I said, there's going to be spoilers in this. You were warned. Um, it's It's... It's scary how real this movie is. I mean, just even the death. Spielberg had to do that to us. He had to make the death super real. You know, most deaths are cheesy. You know, something like that. This isn't that. This guy's fucking screaming for his mom. It's 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 terrifying, really. It, it truly is terrifying. It doesn't make you want to fucking go to war, I can tell you that much. Um, you know, it's not a movie I can watch all the time because it is tough to watch. It's, uh, you know, spoilers coming. It's an emotional journey, and it doesn't really end all that well for everyone. Like the war didn't. You know, it's, it is, it is, it's scary, this movie. This is a scary movie because of how real it is. And uh, again, the fact that it lives up to the first 25 minutes for the rest of the movie is incredible. This is a great movie, guys. It's... You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure I actually didn't write down what it was nominated for or what it won, but I'm sure it won something because it, it had to. It had to. This is a fucking great movie, Saving Private Ryan. If you haven't seen it, 
Check it out immediately. That's my number five, guys. Great, great movie. At number four, 1981, it had to be in the top five. I mean, come on. Raiders of the Lost Ark, it had to be there. It's just the way it is. Starring Harrison Ford, Karen Allen. It's the first credited screen role for Alfred Molina, if I'm not mistaken. Doc Ock. You know, he gets killed because he's a greedy prick. That's the way it is. Um, This was nominated for Best Picture, which I find surprising. It should have been, but I don't think that would happen now. Movies like this don't get nominated for Best Picture. Which, you know, I think they should. The Oscars need to come up with something. They need... Uh, they need to come up with some different categories. I, I don't know what they need to do, but, you know, they... Oh, I'm so confused. How come we're not... How come our ratings are going down? Well, because no... The, the regular movie-going audience hasn't seen the fucking movies that are nominated for Best Picture. It's simple. No one goes and sees them. You know? Uh, so, that's just the reality. That's what they need to change. But anyway, back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm glad it was nominated for Best Picture. I wish it would have won. I can't remember what it lost to, but it was such a great movie. It's the adventure movie. In my notes, I've wrote the in capitals. Just to say it's the adventure movie. You know, when I think adventure, I think when anyone thinks adventure movie, not only has Indiana Jones come to mind, but this one in particular comes to mind. It's the basis for comparison with any other adventure film to come after it. It's almost unfair to adventure films because this movie is so good. You know, I'll say it again. It's the adventure movie. It definitely inspired Uncharted, the video games Uncharted. I mean, Evan Goldberg was slated to direct a um, writer, director, maybe both, an Uncharted movie, but he said he couldn't because they asked him in an interview why, and he said, because it's Indiana Jones. You know, and it is. I I hope they do make the film because I I don't think we get enough of these movies, to be honest. I don't think we have enough adventure movies. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of the last great one come out. But there is. I mean, it's not fair to say that. But, you know, this movie is so good. It, It has the... It has one of my favorite character introductions of all time. You know, you don't see Indy's face for like the first three or four minutes of the movie. Then you hear Dummy Boy cock the gun, cocks the pistol, and and you just see Indy do this perfect little twitch of the head, you know, as if to say, like, I heard that. Why'd you do that? And then he turns around, you know, pulls the iconic whip out, whips the pistol out of the guy's hand, hurts the guy. He runs off like a little bitch. And then he walks into the light, you know, and you see Harrison Ford's badass face with the scruff and the hat. It's so cool. It's so badass. I, I'm getting giddy talking about it. It's just an unreal character introduction. One of my favorites of all time. One of the best of all time, in my opinion. Um, because, again, Spielberg knows exactly when to reveal something. When to show it, finally. And although that was within the first three minutes of the film, he could have showed it right away. But he didn't. Because he, he knows what he's doing. The guy is incredible. I mean, I love the paranormal aspect of this movie. I love that. Love the face melting. You gotta love the face melting. I love how he made real villains in a fictional story. They're Nazis. They're dicks. No one cheers for the Nazis. I mean, if you do, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You might, you know, miss some poor parenting maybe. I I don't know. But it's just an incredible movie. And I'll say it one more time before I finish this. It's the adventure movie. That's my number four, guys. Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Now, I'm sure people are whining at me right now because, you know, I put the War of the Worlds on my list and not Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's my list. Uh, you know, that's... I had to do it. That's what I had to do. Um, and number three came out in 1975. Jaws. You knew it was on the list. It had to be on the list. Starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Lorraine Gary, Murray Hamilton... Nominated for Best Picture, and again, kind of surprising. Especially at a time like 1975. This movie invented the summer blockbuster. I mean, that's basically the majority of the big box office hits are summer blockbusters now. Like, this movie changed cinema. In reality, it did. It totally did. And, you know, an interesting fact, I didn't know where the term blockbuster came from, but I guess it's because... Um, most movies, like back in the day, there was huge lineups for movies and they'd go around the block blockbuster. That's what I heard anyway. Maybe it's wrong, but I think it's kind of an interesting fact. Um, this is maybe one of the most frightening experiences of my childhood, this movie, you know, and, and people might say, Oh, well, what were you doing watching Jaws as a kid? Eh, you know, I like movies. My parents let me watch Jaws. I, they liked it. Um, I would always leave the room when the scene where Ben Gardner's head pops out of the hole in in his sunken boat. I always left the room. And I'd always make up some bullshit excuse. Like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom all of a sudden. Don't don't pause it. Don't worry about pausing it. You know, because I was a little baby. But I always left the room. And this went on for a while. It still scares me, this scene. It's frightening. I think because I relate so much to when I saw it when I was a little kid and it frightened me then. But, you know, this movie made me scared of lakes. You know, I grew, I, I'm from southern Ontario. There's no sharks where I live. There's no ocean. There's no large body of water, really. But this, made me, this movie made me scared of, like, little rivers. You know? I, I can't believe people swim after seeing this movie at all, especially in the fucking ocean. No way. No thank you. But, you know, it, it's just... And that's what this movie does. It's terrifying. This movie is a scary, scary movie. And notoriously, the shark would never work. You know, other than being nicknamed Bruce, they named the shark Bruce after Spielberg's lawyer, allegedly, or something. Apparently, he also dubbed the shark the Great White Turd. Because the thing sucked. It never worked. But thank God. Thank God it didn't work. Because if it did, we might get a totally different movie. This This movie might not be anything similar to what we got. Because he had to make do. Like, he... This was the most difficult film he'd ever made because, you know, on water, it's so much different. And apparently uh, when the sky is blue, the water looks different. When the sky gets a little overcast, the water looks different. Continuity was a nightmare, I guess, in this movie. And, you know, on top of it all, the fucking shark didn't work. But thank the Lord, because this movie might have been totally different. This is one, I think it's inevitable. They're going to remake it one day. I'm praying they don't. But I think they will because of the digital age. And this movie does not need that. It does not need that. This movie is perfection. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, the the reason this movie works so well is because the digital age hadn't happened yet. With CGI, this movie would be totally different. And it wouldn't be as good, in my opinion. This movie would suffer from that. Again, it's not what you see. It's what you don't see. The scene when uh, the the two dummies put the holiday meat out or whatever, the holiday roast, and the, the dock gets pulled off. 
The shark's hooked into it, pulling the dock. When the guy starts swimming back to his buddy, the dock turns and starts moving towards him. You don't see the shark. You see the dock. You know, it's scarier. For whatever reason, it's scarier. You know, I, I can't explain it. That When the Kintner boy gets, gets um, eaten and you just see those fins flip over, you know, that is chilling. But if you see the shark jump up and, you know, it'll just look, it would be stupid. It wouldn't work the same. This movie is so great because you don't see the shark so often. I love that about it. And I, I think people who love this movie and, you know, they, they don't necessarily know that that's why they, what they love about it, but they do. This movie is so much different, a completely different movie if you see that shark all the time. So thank goodness uh, Bruce didn't work, the great white turd. That's my number three, guys. Like I said, I'm not going to go in-depth about these movies. If you want to hear that, let me know, and I will do in-depth analysis of movies. Maybe that'll be a show at some point. But for now, if you haven't seen them, just watch them. You know, it, it's simple. Um, at number two, came in out, coming out in 1982, we got E.T., the extraterrestrial. Again, it had to be on the list. I was toying with the notion of putting Jaws here and E.T. at three... But E.T. has to be two. It has to be two because it's so good. Starring Henry Thomas, probably the best child performance ever. You know, Haley Joel Osment was really good in Sixth Sense, so I'm not going to take that away from him. Let's call it a tie. He won the Oscar, but uh, let's call it a tie. I think that's fair. D. Wallace, Peter Coyote. This one, best sound, best sound effects editing, best visual effects, and best original score. John Williams. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing, which is a feat. It's it's such a feat that Spielberg makes movies like this that get nominated for Oscars because these aren't the type of movies that get nominated for Oscars. Although, The Shape of Water did win this year. Now, we'll talk about that one day. Uh, I'll tell you this right now. Uh, if I had to describe The Shape of Water in one word, I'd go, eh. That's how I describe it. You know, I, I I wasn't wooed with it as much as everyone else was, but that's just me. Um, this one best picture at the Golden Globes, which deservedly so. Now, one thing I was reading, um, it, event, like you know, if you guys w- are interested in movie facts and stuff, just go on IMDb, search up a movie, and go to trivia. I don't think all of it's legit. I don't think all of it's real, but it's very organized. Um, a lot of movie facts about said movie. So I was reading a couple things on there, and I, you know, I fact-checked a couple of them. This movie had over a year-long theatrical run, the longest ever, over a year. That is insane. Over a year in theaters, I can't imagine how much money this movie made. Like in 1992, I'm sure it's been adjusted for inflation. I'll look it up one day. This movie is that is insane. I mean, what what do movies typically get now? Three three months, if you're lucky, maybe three months. Four. I I can't see it being much more than four. Like typically, typically when the Blu-ray comes out, which is usually th- three or four months after the theatrical release, you know that movie's long out of theaters. I rarely buy a Blu-ray and can still see that movie in theaters. I I don't think that happens too often. I cannot believe that over a year insanity this was the highest grossing movie of all time until 1993 when a movie was released the same day june 11th 21 years later jurassic park 
Now, coincidentally enough, the person to break this record was James Cameron with Titanic, and he defeated himself as well with Avatar. So that's kind of interesting. But, you know, I can't imagine seeing this in theaters. You know, like, I've never got to... A lot of theaters offer classic movie festivals and shit like that. I've never got to see this movie, uh, got the chance to see this movie in theaters. And when I do, I'm going to, because I I guarantee it, it is... It's an experience. Because watching it on a 32-inch TV is an experience. I love this movie. You know, Steven says he got the idea for this movie, like I said, while filming Close Encounters. He thought, what if one of those aliens was stuck on Earth? And, and you know, I think uh, partly Steven's experience with his parents divorcing played a part in the story as well. I mean... The most iconic image, I've got it written down here in my notes, I'll tell you. It's one of the most iconic images in movie history. But it is the most iconic image in movie history. It's Elliot and E.T. flying across the moon in the background. That's the most iconic. Come on, everybody knows that scene. Everybody knows that image. It became the logo for Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Just unbelievable. And that's a great scene with the score. It's probably the best John Williams score of all time. It's up for debate, of course, but it's probably my favorite. Now, Star Wars is voted on AFI's all-time scores or whatever. It's voted number one. I think E.T. is his best. Um, Now, I'm probably pretty biased. This is my number two, but I I do think it's his best. It's such a well-crafted score. It's beautiful. As a kid, the first and second times watching this movie were such different experiences, which I think is... uh, very unique to a film and I don't think I'm the only one that had these experiences the first time I saw it it was frightening you know when Elliot's lying there on the lawn chair and E.T. comes out of the shed it's quite uh, what's the word it's very creepy actually you know it's very very dark now having rewatched it if you look at his eyes if you look at E.T.'s eyes they're very very welcoming they're not scary at all now, I didn't notice that when I was a kid. You don't notice those things when you're a kid. But the second time I watched it, I wanted an E.T. of my own. I think everyone did. It wasn't frightening anymore. It was a story of a friendship. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful movie. You know, I, I can't tell you how much I love this movie because I, I, it's so unbelievable. One day I'm going to do my top movies of all time. And this movie is going to be on the list. Probably very high. Spoiler alert. I love it. It's just a beautifully told story about friendship and how a family has to stick together in tough times. You know, despite being about an alien on Earth, being stuck on Earth. That's what it's about. It's about a family that has to stick together. And, and you know, how friendships are made in your youth. It's really incredible. And it's something that Spielberg, only he can do. The guy just has a gift. He just knows. You know, it's unbelievable. This movie has blatantly inspired so many other filmmakers. Probably more so, like, noticeably in other films that I've ever seen. It's so noticeable, some of the uh, uh, some of the nods to this movie in, in movies and television, you know, like, especially the obvious one being Stranger Things. There are so many nods to E.T. and Stranger Things. And so many other movies as well. This movie was clearly inspiring i mean i just read empire uh the empire spielberg issue if you guys don't read empire magazine definitely check it out if you can find it it's kind of tough to find for me in southern ontario but 
Um, it, it's such a good magazine with great interviews, and the Spielberg issue is no exception to that. It's really, really good. And you've got guys like Christopher Nolan talking about how I- inspiring E.T. was to him, and that's just like, that says so much that a filmmaker of that caliber respects you that much. It, it's just insanity. Steven Spielberg is the best, in my opinion, by far. So that's my number two, guys. I'm not going to go on about it any longer. Like I said a million times so far, if you're interested in hearing my full film analysis, because typically I don't really do that. I, I kind like I, I will. I love doing it for fun. I hate to say it, it's pretty nerdy, but you know, typically I just want to give you the gist of what my feelings are towards the movie, how much I really do love them. But if you want my full criticism, they won't really be criticisms for Spielberg movies, but my my analysis and what I feel about the movie shot for shot, let me know. I will do that. Um, But I want to make sure you guys are interested in that before I do. So that's my number two, guys. E.T. the Extraterrestrial. It's a must-see for any film fan, not just Steven Spielberg uh, fans. And number one, you guys know what it is. 1993. It's Jurassic Park. It, it had to be in there. It had to be. It had to be number one. You guys know. You know me. Eight episodes in. You know me. It's Jurassic Park, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum. Now, again, I've already talked about this movie too much. Probably you guys are probably getting annoyed with me, but that's okay because I love this movie and I need to share it. Laura Dern does not get enough credit for her performance in this movie, especially considering the recent movements and shit in Hollywood. You know, this is a strong female character. She doesn't take shit from anyone, not, you know, regardless of men, she doesn't take shit from anyone, and it's not overly blatant. You know, I don't need a man, it's nothing like that. She doesn't have to say that. You just know, because she's confident in her abilities, you know, in her knowledge, which is something that I think isn't done well a lot. You know, like, I, I have no problem with a feminist character. That's that's great. But I have a problem with an overly feminist character because it, it just seems, it, you know, it seems lazy. The writing seems lazy. This character is just strong, period. No questions asked. She doesn't take shit from anyone, which I like. I like that a lot about this character, and it's it's underrated, especially, like I said, um, in today's age. Joseph Mazzello and Ariana Richards, Tim and Lex, they're great in this. Now, I have a friend who, who says they're not great in it, and that's fine. Like, We'll get into that in a minute. It's not any kid's fault, but sometimes movie kids annoy the shit out of me. But in this one, they do not, which, again, is classic Spielberg. The guy knows how to get great performances out of kids. Jeff Goldblum is extra Jeff Goldblumy, K-I-Titian, K-I-Titian. Uh, life uh, finds a way. You know, the guy, come on. Jeff Goldblum has had a huge resurgence, and I love the fact that he has because the guy is so talented. He's such a great actor. If you don't think so, watch The Fly. The guy is amazing. Watch this, for fuck's sake. It's an unbelievable movie, and he's great in it. Around the 23-minute mark, best shot in movie history, in my opinion. You know the shot. They're moving in herds. They do move in herds. That shot, when it pans out and it, it shows uh, Richard Hammond, Ellie Sattler, Alan Grant uh, watching. I, I'm getting choked up just talking about it. This this movie makes me emotional because I, I love it so much. Um, 
when it shows that and the brachiosaurs and I, I can't remember the other dinosaurs, but the the brachiosaurs are coming out of the body of water and the other ones are kind of drinking out of it. That is the best shot in movie history, in my opinion, by far. One day I'm going to commission an artwork, uh, an artist of some type to paint that for me because that has to be on my wall. It is such a beautiful piece of cinema, in my opinion. The lighting is perfect. Like, they couldn't have got a more perfect day. Just brilliant. And and it, and it shows the contrast. It's kind of a foreshadow in the movie, as far as I'm concerned, because it shows a contrast with how small we are and how absurdly large these things are. You know? It's just an unbelievable shot. Like I said, the best shot in movie history, in my opinion. Now, it's not fair. My analysis for this movie is not fair because I am so biased when it comes to it. And I'll admit that totally. When people say they don't like this movie, I, it's fine. I get it. But I am so biased because I have a special connection to it, and that's the reality. Not only is this the first movie I ever remember watching... Again, you might say, well, you shouldn't watch that as a kid, but I don't remember this movie ever scaring me. Ever. This movie never scared me. Even when I was four years old. It came out the year I was born. So, you know, who knows when I saw it the first time. And like I was saying, not only is this the first movie I ever remember watching, it's probably the first thing I remember, period. I do not remember a time in my life when I didn't know about this movie, when I didn't love this movie. You know, this movie, it's very, very important to me. Uh, as silly as that may sound, but you guys know. You know, you guys are listening to a movie movies only podcast. I'm sure you have a film like this. You know, I've seen this movie easily triple digits. Easily triple digits. I have a buddy who uh, who always says when we're drinking or whatever, says you'd go to Kev's house, and uh, if he wasn't home, Jurassic Park was on the TV playing. If he was home, Jurassic Park was on the TV playing. I just had it on a constant loop, basically, and it never gets old. I still love it, and that, that speaks volumes to me that after all these years watching this movie, probably, probably roughly at least 10 times a year, at least... Uh, it, it still doesn't get old. It really doesn't. I mean, I've even had people say, like, are, are Jurassic Park and Men in Black the only movies you watch? Because when I was a kid, that that was my rotation. It was Jurassic Park, it was Men in Black, and then when Men in Black ended, I put Jurassic Park back in. That's just the way it was. I fucking love this movie. I couldn't love anything... Well, I couldn't love a movie more. Um, It's great. It's unbelievable. It had to be number one. It's not only my number one Spielberg movie. As you know, it's my number one movie of all time. I love it. Uh, I get, you know, I get giddy just talking about it. I could talk about this movie all day long, Um, but I won't. And that is my number one Jurassic Park Steven Spielberg film. And that is my list, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about the list. Let me know... uh, how I'm an idiot, how I'm not. Um, And, you know, like I said, guys, I'm thinking about doing a full film analysis, but I want to make sure that you guys are cool with that or if you want to hear it, because if you don't, I have no interest in doing that. Um, I'm thinking about doing some trailer talk uh, and more movie news. That seemed to be kind of popular. Let me know also if you want to hear that. And let me know if there's anything you want to hear. If you've got a a category you want me to make a list for, you want to hear my take on it, Fucking reach out, man. I I do not care. I will do it. 
Tell me what you want to hear. I will do it. No problem. Uh, as always, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Egomaniac Movies. No caps, no spaces, no nothing. Uh, thanks, guys. You know, thanks for listening uh, to these eight episodes so far. I can't appreciate. You know, I, I can't really put into words how much I appreciate it. It's so unbelievable. It was a tough thing for me to do uh, to put myself out there, but I'm really, really having a lot of fun doing it. Um, so yeah. Take care, guys. Don't be a stranger. And remember, you're going to need a bigger boat.